Hello there and welcome to the podcast, Biblical Question. I'm glad that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to download our podcast and to listen to us. We certainly hope and pray that you would be edified, Christ would be glorified. Today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do a history of the English Bible, kind of a discussion that we got in with a listener here uh, several months ago, actually. And so I kind of put some things together, and that's what we're going to do in this podcast. I haven't decided uh, if we're going to do it in one or two, and it'll see here how that goes. But in the meantime, I would encourage you to go to our webpage at biblicalquestion.com, all one word, all lowercase. And there you can find out more about us. There you can find a prayer request page. I would really encourage you to pray for these people. And I know you don't know them, but they have made an effort to ask for prayers for their family and friends. And we all need to be in prayer for one another and encourage one another as well. And so we probably really won't be reading any Bible scriptures today. Uh, like I said, this is going to be more uh, of a history a lesson of the English Bible, how it came about, and whatnot. And so I hope you find this interesting. And if you do, please tell others about us. Yeah, hit that like button and the share button and tell others about us. You can find us as well on LinkedIn and Twitter. And there occasionally we do post uh, news events from around the world that we think that will affect uh, the church or is affecting the church or Christianity in general. And we know many of our listeners are in nations where it's not really popular to be a Christian, and that's becoming more and more true even in the Western world. As the younger generations kind of mock and make fun of us uh, older folks who believe in Jesus as the only way uh, of salvation. And so we need to be praying for our leaders uh, that they would continue to allow us to have our religious freedoms and be able to have free speech to be able to talk about uh, these types of subjects. And so if you are in a nation uh, where you're persecuted, um, we pray for you every day uh, here at, uh, at this podcast at Biblical Question. We, we really sincerely know that many, many places... Uh, people are persecuted really harshly for believing in, in Jesus. And some people really do lose their lives. They lose their their property, their jobs. And we've been in third world countries. We've been in countries where uh, Christianity was not necessarily the uh, illegal, but it was not necessarily either a top uh, religion. And so we have studied with Muslims and whatnot. And I have found that to be a very interesting experience, and I felt blessed that God allowed us to do that in the past. So again, if I mispronounce people's names in this uh, podcast, you'll have to please forgive me, because uh, I'm not sure always how to pronounce names, and so we will do our very best. Uh, please take notes, and... Uh, if you want a copy of this, you can email us or contact us through the webpage, and I will do my best to get you a copy 
of the transcript of the, of the podcast here. So there are some important versions prior to the King James Version, and we'll talk about the King James uh, throughout the podcast. And obviously, King James is the most popular English uh, version of the Bible, and there's reasons for that. One would be because the printing press uh, comes into play uh, about the same time. But we're going to back up just a little bit here. And we're going to, John Wycliffe. Now this is going to be around 1330 to 1384. In Wycliffe's translation, he's going to translate the New Testament first. And, and he will then do part of the Old Testament uh, translation into English around 1382. And his translation was done from, uh, from Latin. It remained very popular for over a century. His work was so... It, it angered the church authorities. If you can believe that in our day and time, but, uh, I can. But it, anyway, it, the church authorities uh, were really upset with him for translating this into English. And some of that could have to do with control. Uh, that uh, only the people who knew how to read Latin and understand Latin, uh, could be able to tell you verbally in English what the Bible really said. So it was, it was a power thing. They had something over you, and if you had a need, you had to go talk to them when it came to knowing what the Bible said. So anyway, in 1415, after the man's been dead, this is how, Matt, this is how angry the church authorities were at the time. Again, this is 1415. They dig up his dead body and they burn his body and his ashes uh, just out of spite, I guess. Uh, that's unbelievable, but they did do it. Okay, and then we have William Tyndale or Tyndale, and this is going to be around 1492. Uh, to 1536. Now this man is often called the father of the English Bible. And he's going to be forced to leave England and around 1524 and he's going to flee to Germany. And there in Germany he will finish his translation work. Uh, his Bibles had to be smuggled into English in bales of cloth and Tyndale like it was betrayed uh, to church authorities by a friend, and he's going to be burned at the stake in 1536. Now, it's estimated that 92% of Tyndale's translation of the New Testament uh, is evident in the King James Version, which brings us to number, number three, uh, the King James uh, Bible. Preceding that, we have uh, 1535, uh, Miles Coverdale, he's going to change the wording of the Tyndale's translation, translation, excuse me, so that it would be more acceptable to church authorities. And this is the first English translation of both Old and New Testaments. And then we have Matthews uh, in 1537. Uh, this was a revision of Tyndale's work again that was done by uh, John Rogers. It was the first English Bible to be licensed by the state. 
1539, uh, Travers, Tra Richard Travers. Now, he will revise the Matthew's Bible, and this is going to be the first Bible really to be completely printed in England. Then we come to 1539, the same year, the Great Bible. This was a revision of the earlier Matthew's Bible, also done by Miles uh, Coverdale. It was called the Great Bible because of its size. It was really, really huge. And the Bible, uh, this was the Bible that history would record as often being chained to the pulpits so that people couldn't steal it uh, in the English churches, English-speaking churches. Then we have the Geneva Bible, and that comes out about 1560. The, the Geneva Bible was printed in English in Geneva because of persecution in England during the reign of, of Queen Mary. It was a revision of the Great Bible. The Geneva Bible was the first to use italicized words that added to the translation so that it would make sense in English. The Puritans actually will bring this over on the Mayflower. And it was the Bible that it was used by Shakespeare. Then we, about eight years later, around 1568, Bishops was another revision of the Great Bible. So keep in mind we have three critical events occurring during this time frame as well. In Germany, uh, there's event, invention of the uh, printing press around 1450 AD, and this is going to revolutionize book production. We're going to be able to mass produce uh, books by using a printing press that they did not have uh, prior to this time. And so, uh, then we have Martin Luther. Now, he's going to translate the Bible into German language. And this is going to be around 1521 to about 1534. And this is going to set off a, a revolutionary type, a revolution, excuse me, both politically and religiously in Germany. In England, uh, Henry uh, VIII, now he's going to be in rule here from uh, the late 15th century into the early 16th century. And there's going to be a dispute with the Roman Catholic Church at this time uh, over his marital uh, situation. And he will now begins this church that becomes known as the Angelican Church. And so basically we have a split uh, off the Catholic Church at this time. The King James Version is is the next Bible we really want to talk about here. This translation was done for around 48 different scholars did it. And it was divided into six working groups. Two at Westminster, two at Oxford, and two at Cambridge. The actual translation work took two years and nine months to complete. And it would be finished in the year 1611. The, the King James 
is actually a revision of the Bishop's Bible, which was a revision of the Great Bible, which was a revision of the Matthew's Bible, which was a revision of the Tyndale's Bible. And many for over 50 years after it was introduced, they opposed the, the King James Version, actually. However, it does achieve uh, a, a level of, of acceptance that made it the major English translation for over 400 years. Okay? It, that's quite an accomplishment. And if it wasn't for the King James Version and the printing press kind of coming into play at the same time, uh, who knows where these folks would have got their Bible uh, readings and teachings from. The, the King James offered uh, a translation and, and everyday language and words of the time. It had beautiful English structure, and the, and the word's choice was wonderful. The most accurate translation of the Hebrew and Greek text at this time frame is the King James Version. The results of a team of scholars uh, kind of worked on this together, like I said earlier, and it was the efforts you know, of more than just one guy putting this together. And so here's some observations of, about the King James Version. The translations with the word standard in them indicate that they, they seek to be as literal in their translation of the text as possible. Okay, and so take that with, so like the NIV uh, today, the, the New International Version. A, a, a dynamic equivalent translation is what that is. They, they, they seek to translate the meaning of a Hebrew or Greek text rather than the literal wording itself. And so this is kind of a, a tricky business. And so here, for instance, is a little translation of, of Romans chapter 1, verse 9. Paul speaking of serving God in his spirit. Okay, that's the New American Standard Version. However, the NIV translates with my whole heart, seeking that dynamic equivalence. So... The question is, is or has to be, which is the better translation? And that is a matter of debate that will not come to an end quickly. I mean, it's, it goes on today, and it will continue to go on probably until Christ returns. Some of us, you know, are really just bent over backwards to uh, this is the only translation it was the King James was authorized by God and that's what I'm going to use well I can argue the point is it was authorized by King James because prior to King James authorizing it people were dying and being killed for putting the Bible in English so he authorizes it it is now legal to do so uh, to put the Bible in English and have it distributed out to the common people. And so that's why it's authorized. And so settle, settle on one translation and stay with it. And keep in mind, uh, 
of its strength and its weaknesses. Every translation has them, even the best of the translations. And so, especially if, if you're a young Christian, new Christian, uh, the King James Version really may not be uh, the best version for you. It is uh, the old English type uh, English in it. It has words in it that we don't use any longer in the English language. And so it may not be the best. The, uh, the New International Version is actually at a 7th grade English level, which most magazines, news articles, whatnot, uh, in, in the United States especially, they're all written around a 7th grade English level so that they can have uh, a wider audience to read it and understand it. So, But don't just study just one translation. Always read several when you're trying to seek out and find the meaning of a passage. There's a lot of commentaries out there and that you could read, and, and I could recommend a few. Uh, I haven't opened a commentary in 15 years. Okay, so but the best commentary, in my opinion only, is the Word of God. It is often found in various verbal uh, reflexes, uh, various translations, and so I will pick up different translations and read the same passage uh, that I'm studying from the different translations and even from that I can get a better idea of perhaps what the uh, what the text is really driving at or trying uh, to come across with its meaning. And of course there's always Greek word study, Hebrew word study, and I would not consider that a commentary that is more of a dictionary type thing and you can download those uh, Greek uh, Strong's Concordance and it will tell you and give you the definitions of, of the different Greek words and whatnot. And I love word studies. I, I think it's really helped uh, me a lot in, in my walk and study with the Lord. And so uh, we're going to try to finish this out here without making this a two-part uh, podcast. So bear with me here. And we're going to talk about uh, modern translations here real quickly. And why, why a need for a newer translation? So remember the King James Version at one time was considered a new translation. English is a very hard language to, to speak and write, and, but it's, it's a living language. Word meanings and uses, as I've already said earlier, they kind of change over time. Research and scholarship and, and knowledge and, and discoveries uh, have improved uh, over the years of our knowledge of the Greek language. Now, the, the Greek language that is written or used um, with the New Testament, especially, that language is really dead. I guess there are people who speak Greek in Greece or wherever, I'm sure, but it's it's a different uh, it's different Greek, okay, uh, and so we we now have more of the older texts that were that, that were necessarily not always available when the King James version was translated, and that would be an example of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and so there is a constant 
challenge to frame a translation to meet different culture, uh, age, uh, educational levels, uh, those type of things. And so, as as we as we grow as a society, as our languages evolve, there's always seem like there's a need to to understand what the old languages really mean. So some of the more modern, popular translations would be and include an American Standard Version, and that would come out in 1901. This is a revision of the English Revised Version. A, a team of 65 scholars in England, along with two American groups, they will put this together, and it's really one of the most literal translations available. However, its English is often uh, awkward, and it's a good source to study. But it has a lot of these and thous, and um, we just don't talk that way anymore, especially in the United States and Canada and whatnot. And so, the Revised Standard Version is going to come out in 1946 for the New Testament, and then 1952 with the Old Testament. Now, the RSV seeks more of a, a dynamic equivalence in its translation rather than being literal. So, while still claiming to be the standard version, it's a version used by many universities, many missionaries have used it overseas, and <clears throat> since it's not called an American quote-unquote translation, and I've been in those situations too where uh, people don't want anything to do with an American-type uh, Bible. And so, they w we've used that. Then we have today's English version, uh, the TEV for short. It's coming out around 1966 for the Old Testament, and ten years later, uh, the New Testament will, will be completed. And this is one of the first of many attempts to translate the Bible into simple English as possible. It is deliberately uses a very limited vocabulary. The, uh, the New American Standard Version, uh, the NASV, and that's usually, uh, I use the New American Standard Update 90% of the time in my podcast. Uh, I do use the NIV, I use the English Standard Version, I use the version for the deaf, as well, uh, occasionally. So, but anyway, this is going to take 58 scholars, and they're under a sponsorship uh, of the Lockman Foundation in, in California. It is not a revision of the ASV, but it's a completely new translation. Criticized for its sometimes awkward English, it is nevertheless recognized as one of the most accurate translations available. And, of course, in 1995, the, the update is now available. And so, and that's the one I generally use. And it's at a 12th grade English level. And so, it's, it may not be suitable for people whose first language is not English or those who just have trouble reading and, and understanding uh, the bigger words. And in 1971... The Living Bible. Now, this is going to be a paraphrased uh, version. And I'm, I'm trying to really stress that this is not really a translation of the Bible. 
Now, this is one man, his name is uh, Kenneth Taylor. A paraphrase of the, of the old American Standard Version. The living word should not be thought of or used as a translation, because it's not. Taylor's theology often shows itself in the way he chooses to paraphrase certain passages. And then you've heard me already kind of allude to this version, the NIV, the New International Version. And they're going to have here, the New Testament comes out in 1973, their, their first first time around. In 1978, they will have completed the Old Testament. And this is now the most popular of all the new translations. And it is now outsells even uh, the King James Version. Okay, it is a, a dynamic equivalent uh, translation. It, it seeks to bring out the meaning of a word or phrase rather than the little literal word or the phrase over into English. It is being continually updated and changed to reflect the changes in the English uh, usage of, of words and information and is made available by a modern uh, scholarship and research team. Now, they have many different NIV versions out now and uh, generally speaking, the first ones that came out the first time around, uh, I really didn't have any major issues with. They have since really changed a lot of things, and I'm not always a fan of that. But And now, we, as we kind of try to wind this up here, we had the New King James Version, and it's going to come out in 1979 for the New Testament, and they will complete the Old Testament a few years later in 1982. This is a revision of the old King James Version designed to upgrade the English to more of a contemporary form. It continues to reflect many of the weaknesses as well as the strengths of the original King James Version. And they actually have uh, lately, uh, last couple of years I believe, they, they've updated it again. And I think it's closer to the original Greek uh, than the original King James. And there's nothing wrong with the New King James Version. If that's what you use, uh, that's fine. Then we have the New Revised Standard Version. And then in 1989, this is a new translation. It, it, it produced by the same committee as, as the RSV. And this translation is more of a literal one. However, the grammar and the wording reflect modern English. It is a very accurate and readable English translation. And then we have in uh, 2001, which is a lot closer to our day and time, the English Standard Version, the ESV. And this is a really good version of, of the Bible. It is a literal translation of the Bible in contemporary English. And more than a hundred evangelical scholars, they, they help put this together. And since its publication has become widely accepted in, in English-speaking circles uh, as an accepted word-for-word -word accuracy. And um, I really, I read the English Standard Version. I've not really used it on the podcast, but I read it in my uh, personal studies, and I really like it. It's really a, a good version. And they have some very good study Bibles as well. And so, while we're on the topic of study Bibles, 
Uh, keep in mind all those little footnotes and whatnot. Uh, a lot of those um, are lean toward premillennialism, whether you believe in that or not. It's this is what they, those notes are, and you have to understand those notes are not inspired words. That that is simply uh, the people who put all the Bible together, whichever version you're using. They're putting their footnotes in there to uh, help you uh, understand something, or uh, that's their view of that verse, what, whatever the topic is, okay? And so, um, I would encourage you to uh, to get a, uh, a Bible. I have one. It's called uh, the New American Standard Update with the Strong's numbers in it, and it's a little thicker Bible. It's a little heavier to carry around, but it you, it gives you the number of the word, like baptism. I'll use that as a word example, uh, because it's the first one that came to my mind, a baptizo, and it, you can go to your Strong's Concordance Dictionary, and it will tell you what that word baptizo means in the original Greek. It it means to immerse, to dip. Okay, and so it does not mean sprinkle, pour, or whatever other terms we can use for that baptism word. And so that's that's another good reason to have study resources. That would not be necessarily uh, a man or, or a committee's idea of, of what a verse should mean or does mean. It just me. It's a straight definition. It would be no different picking up. Uh, Webster's or Cambridge or Oxford Dictionary uh, when you pick up a Greek dictionary with the strong numbers. Those numbers, every word in the Bible, strong has given a number to. And so if you want to know what those words are, you can do that. In fact, you can go to your favorite uh, search engine and type in strong's number or whatever and it'll take you there and it'll tell you what that word means. And so it's a very good tool to have. Well, I certainly hope that this is really probably quick uh, English uh, history of the Bible. It's interesting, again, uh, just kind of recap real quick, how the early versions prior to the King James, uh, the church frowned really hard on people who put the, the Bible into English, uh, digging up dead people and burning their ashes to show their spite toward that person, uh, executing people for doing that. And so, um, we, we could be facing something similar in our day and time. I certainly hope not. I hope that we will always be able to broadcast freely, without fear, uh, without uh, being told what we could or cannot say. And so, we, we don't realize uh, in the Western world hemisphere how blessed we really are to be able to have these freedoms uh, of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom of whatever you want to go down the list. And once we start losing one freedom, we're going to lose a lot. And it will take a lot to get them back, if we can ever get it back. So we need to be in prayer that uh, our leadership, that we people who vote for, who run for office, would be godly uh, people, God-fearing people, and would allow uh, God and Jesus to be preached and taught always. So this is, uh, again, an answer to a discussion we had here locally. It did not come through the webpage, but I thought it would be an interesting topic 
to share with my listeners around the world. And, and if you have something that you would like to, to discuss or talk about, uh, questions answered, I, I, I will do my best to do that. And sometimes it takes me a little longer to get to those. I know people have emailed uh, questions and it takes me a month or so uh, to get all the information I want to put over the air because I, I think it's important to be as accurate as possible and so I always ask that you bear with me again please tell others about us if you like us uh, if you like us as well share us uh, on your social media account our webpage information how you found us tell other people how to listen to us so our audience will continue to grow and it does uh, continue to grow we pick up more listeners all the time we consider that a blessing from God and we certainly hope that you are being blessed as well again I want to thank you for listening may God bless you and may he have the glory